I'm Andy Merckx. You listen to The Bicycle Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. Yes, this is The Bike Show on Resonance 104.4 FM. With me in the studio, Kieran Yates and Bill Chidley. Buffalo Bill, welcome to the show, guys. Thanks very much, Jack. Nice to be here in the bright new Resonance Studios. You know it. <laughs> Isn't it fabulous? Fabulous new studio. Another season of the bike show, and uh, highlights of this season are a special look at a molten bicycle. Well, my molten bicycle, which I've just recently acquired through the miracles of eBay, waiting outside in the rain at the moment. It's a beautiful specimen, 1963 molten deluxe, beautifully restored by a guy called Steve. And um, I'm going to be interviewing Alex Moulton with any luck and uh, speaking to a few uh, Moulton enthusiasts out and about. Uh, we're also going to be taking a long, hard look at the cult of the fixed-wheel bicycle um, in hipster scene in New York City and London. This is a scene that's soon to be um, uh, history uh, when, when Moulton's really catch on and uh, take off um, on the streets of London. You heard it here first on The Bike Show. We're going to be looking at the history of bicycles at war. We're going to be taking a look at the impact of the 2012 Olympics on the City of London and on London cyclists. And we're going to be investigating the issue of riding a bike while pregnant. And if that wasn't enough, we're going to have a new sound art interpretation of Alfred Jarry's famous essay, The Crucifixion, considered as an uphill bicycle race and that's featuring the magnificent Peter Blakebad. But part of what I want to do on this show is take a look back over what's been a pretty hectic summer uh, for cycling. And I've got with me two guys who have done an awful lot of cycling over the summer in one form or another. Kieran, um, if you're an attentive listener to the show, uh, was making his first attempt of the Paris-Brest-Paris ride, which is kind of the ultimate in endurance uh, riding. How was that, Kieran? Did you, did you make it? I did make it. It was gruelling, tiring. I came back with uh, 
several aches and pains. Uh, bits of my body didn't work for a few weeks. Uh, my fingers still tingle a bit. Um, but other than that, fantastic achievements and a great thing to have done. So, uh, yeah, pleased to have done it. And Bill, uh, nothing quite just, as just uh, heroic as the Paris Press Paris. Massive respect. Absolutely massive respect to Kieran for doing the Paris Press Paris. That means that you are officially a hard man of cycling. Massive. Or massive, a, a, a massive. head case of cycling. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. But what, what's the soft man of cycling we're getting up oh, to apart I, from printing T-shirts? Getting fat. I've got really fat. I mean, I haven't really been doing much cycling at all. I've been doing a lot of blogging. That doesn't keep the weight down. Uh, I've been doing a lot of... Um, I've, I've been involved in quite a few events over the summer. That doesn't keep the weight down because of the beer, obviously. What uh, kind of events? Well, mostly messenger events. Uh, yeah, basically, mostly messenger events. Well, to listeners uh, who don't know who Buffalo Bill is, he um, is a former chair of the London Bike Messenger Association and more importantly uh, writes the moving target zine which is the world's most useless messenger yes. zine on the on, on the web. You've got a pretty big following now haven't you? You've, yeah, got, some, I, you've got some hefty Google juice. Yeah <laughs> yeah I, uh, yeah uh, there's a lot of people who yeah. Is there a crossover between the bi bicycling and blogging? Uh, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of really cool bicycling blogs, blogs. I mean, I know yours, your favourite is New York City Bike Snob. Well, I've been, that's, I've, that's, I've I been enjoying that's that. that. That's but quite well written. It's very well written, and um, it's one of my favourites too, just because the guy is so rude. So unbelievably rude. It's far ruder than I would ever dare to be. Uh, but, but I also noticed that it's anonymous as well. It's, right, okay. No one, no but, really but, I, I, he, was, he seemed to be making a living out of it, from what I've heard. Uh, I don't think so, no. I mean, advertising just, and stuff like that, got, no? Yeah, I mean, you don't make a lot of money out of blogs. If you, if you want to get rich, you don't start a blog. I mean, you know, penny a click. I mean, if you get 400 click-throughs a month, what, what's that? It's like a pint. So what, what's, been, what's been the most, um, uh, most talked-about thing you've written about over uh, the summer? Well, f the Fakinger... The, the Fakinger articles regularly gets the most hits on the sites. That seems to be the thing that people like talking about the most. You know, are they good, a good thing? Are they a bad thing? I'm not a Fakinger. You're a Fakinger. These are, this is, these is are people who kind of look a bit like some bike messengers look. Allegedly. Allegedly. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't really want to get into it here. Okay, but, that's, that's into the it. Most but, but then I would say the... The next most popular thing is the HGV stuff because I do cover the HGV cyclist deaths and every time that someone's killed um, and I report about it, my, my, um, I get a massive spike in hits because what you find is people obviously looking for the person that... Well, the sort of, sort of citizen journalism is, in a sense, covering things which don't actually get properly covered in the mainstream newspapers and people look to sites like yours to actually find out what's going on and get a level of detail and reporting that they yeah. won't find elsewhere. Yeah, I mean, a lot of the, the technical information is buried. So if you're looking for blind spot stuff, a lot of the technical reports on bl the so-called blind spot is buried in European Commission. And I like to think that I've, ma I've managed to highlight some of the issues around it. So that's that's another thing. But then you know the big the big story this week is the Raffarola race, which was at the weekend and was absolutely fantastic. It was good, was it? It's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I mean they had a, a huge display board. There was a boxing ring. There was pom poms. There was cheerleaders. The male messenger team won, obviously, which gave me a lot of pleasure. Even though I had to give them four t-shirts. <laughs> All right, was well, that's the reason why they won, obviously. 
because <laughs> they knew well, that I, they, they came, won. they came last, didn't they? They, they the came previous last, one. yeah. They came last, and we were humiliated publicly. And uh, this time we came first, partly because I offered them a free moving target T-shirt each. Not just one between the whole team. They each got a moving target T-shirt. Right, so it wasn't all the Rafa stuff that they were after. It wasn't the Rafa stuff, no. no. They weren't interested in that at no, all. No. It was the moving target T-shirt. Although the a Rafa stuff... Yeah, <laughs> a huge incentive. Yeah. Although the Rafa stuff was very nice. Yeah, so, well, Kieran, tell us a bit about what it's like to get the T-shirt of I Have Ridden, the Paris Press, Paris ride. Well, that, that's practically all you do get for completing Paris Press Paris. That a T-shirt and a key fob-like medal. Um, what's it like? God, uh, first twenty-four hours, it was like it is outside tonight. Re- really wet, windy. Um, I rode straight through twenty-four hours. So set off at ten thirty. Ten thirty at the night. At night, night yeah, and. Carried straight through to a place called Ludiac, which is about 280 miles further down the road on the way to Brest. Uh, and I did something that you're not supposed to do. I slept for a very long time there. Most people avoid sleep on Paris, Brest, Paris, but I decided I would maximise my sleeping time. So I slept from about half ten through until five the next morning, then potted around having breakfast, watching people come in still at Ludiac and collapsing on the floor. Uh, which was quite dramatic at the time, and then set off towards Brest and um, really felt the pain in the morning when I set off again. That was uh, probably the hardest bit, getting back on my bike. To come back again? Well, setting off after that first sleep, setting off, getting your body going, feeling all the discomfort. And this is after how many kilometres? That's probably about 450 470 kilometres, and I think that was the worst bit for me, just getting back on the bike for the first time. And uh, so with t- that's with two thirds still to do, yeah. Two thirds still to do, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and something, something like uh, I must have had about ooh, uh, 55 hours to do that two thirds in at that point. Um, and I got into a nice group of into a nice group with some Basque riders and they were great fun to ride with because they would just zip along they had whistles and they were sort of scooting through every junction blowing the whistles stopping the traffic practically and uh, just zooming ahead and um, a bit like Bill really yeah it was, it was an, <laughs> <laughs> well I, d- I did see Bill the other night whistle in your, in your raver days Continue. yeah so, so uh, <laughs> uh, I was in this Basque pace line and we made good uh, speed all the way to Brest where we were Welcomed by a pipe band, or a pipe player rather, not a pipe band. It was a solo pipe bagpipe player, of all things, in Brest. And um, then it was time to go back, uh, very quickly, in fact. Um, I think at that point, there must have been, I must have been well over 45 hours. So I'd, I'd gone through half my time. And, um, yeah, you, you have a big hill to get up both before going into Brest and coming out of Brest. What, what's uh, that called? That's, that's the legendary. Rock Treasure Bay. That's legendary, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. It's not that, that steep a climb. It's probably like a Yorkshire Dales climb, but sort of after, what, 350 miles, you kind of feel it. Yeah. But um, and then it was on to the next night, and it got grim again with the weather, and... Stopped off, it must have been about one o'clock in the morning, I stopped off at this tiny little village called Saint-Martin-des-Prés, and 
all the villages they kind of that you pass through a lot of you get the folks out on the street cheering you on and it's, it's it, probably for the amateur cyclist it's the closest you can get to being in a big sporting event where you have the roadside kind of uh, enthusiasm and that's great um, but in some of the villages they set up all these stalls you can get cheap croissants cheap coffee uh, in San Martin de Pre they had a huge tent outside the bar and you went in there it was all steaming inside and they had benches laid out and you, they sat you down and they just said what do you want soup have some soup and they brought over these great big dog bowl sizes dog bowls of soup <laughs> and uh, so I, I scoffed that down and then it's do you want somewhere to sleep and they'll usher you into a little back room with foam mattresses all over the floor I didn't take them up on that one because I wanted to hit the road but uh, several people did uh, I made it back to Ludiac and had a sleep on the floor as most people do on Paris Brest Paris if they're not sleeping in a ditch at the side of the road uh, probably about two or three hours there and then back on the road again and chasing for time once more wet, windy, getting into groups of riders um not suffering too badly. Uh, I think the tiredness was starting to hit on the third day more than any kind of physical pain. Again, it's that every time you get back on your bike, you're sort of fighting to get comfortable on it for the first hour or so. Um, and then I must have made it as far as... There, there was a place where they had a secret control just after Ludiac, and I was I got into that control at about seven o'clock in the morning, eight o'clock in the morning, and this American guy came stumbling in and he just started saying, God, I wish they'd let us know that they had these secret controls. I just slept three hundred <laughs> yards down the road in a ditch all night long. <laughs> uh, so oh, so he, he wasn't too chuffed about his night's experience. Um and it, it was just a case you just go, go, go and sort of the, the final night, you, you go through these villages and you just see bodies strewn at the side of the road. It's like there's been a gas attack when all the local villages are cyclists and they've just collapsed at the side of the road. And uh, people passing by will shout out, L'envers et tué, and it's uh, just madness. Final day, <clears throat> heading towards the last control. The, the most spooky thing about the final day was the number of people who had... Uh, soft neck braces on and this is basically because the neck muscles go mm. after you've been riding for so long and they get something i think it's called shramer's neck or something like that uh i saw one guy who had innovated his own solution to this by attaching a bicycle inner tube from the back of his helmet to the back of his saddle to keep his head upright whilst he's <laughs> so there, there are desperate measures that people take to complete oh, this event extraordinary well um i, I want to ask you a little bit more about your preparations um but before that um here is uh, patrick field who i don't know if you saw him along the way um, and is recumbent but he, here are his thoughts about um what it's like to ride uh, the paris press paris Fantastic. It's like being, a, it's like being a, a saint. You know, you ride your bike in England and people want to know why you're doing it. There has to be a product. Is it for charity? Whereas you ride your bike in France and it's like you're mad. It's beautiful. It's, it's a mixture, I think, of the Catholic religion, you know, suffering and obedience. And 
just doing something because you can, because it's beautiful. And also their sort of spiritual affinity with modernism. You know, the, the Paris Brest originally was the birth of the modern world because that's when the Michelin company went from being a joke to being the thing. You know, in the 19th century when people's idea of a road was a load of stones and their idea of a tyre was an iron hoop around a wooden cartwheel and some joker said, I know, let's put a bag of air round the wheels... People just laughed. They thought it was preposterous. It was like the geeks who in 1978 said, one day there will be a computer in every home in the world. You know, it was stupid. And then Charles Theron won the first edition of the Paris Brest in 1891 in 72 hours, and the world changed. And so how long did it take you, the times you've been doing it? Well, the, the touring limit is 90 hours. And we go on a much more circuitous and hilly route than Charles Tehran. Charles Tehran went, just went down the desire line, I have to add, on stony roads and a 19th century bike. So we go on the pretty way. Um, 90 hours is the, the touring limit. I think I did 86 hours the first time, 84 hours the second time. Last time I did 78, 39. And so positive splits. Definitely. This year, I'm hoping, and it's, uh, well, it's, it's ambitious, I want to do 71.59. When you're riding along in that race, is, it kind of, is there a lot of camaraderie? Do you go in a group? I mean, or are you quite broken up by the time you know, you've gotten underway? Initially, if you leave in the, the big bunch... How many, how many people are doing it at the start? Maybe about 4,000. So you're just a river of crazy international overexcited humanity and you look ahead and you can see a river of red broken by horizons f reaching into the distance you look over your shoulder and you see a river of white through the darkness broken by horizons and you thunder through the first night and then slowly things get broken up but you know there's always a rider in the distance ahead a rider in the distance behind different groups you know, some people like to ride fast and see how fast they can go. I think that the limit is something hilarious like 50 hours. You know, that's the record. Then other people like to ride fast and take good rest. And some people like to ride slowly and continuously. What you can't do is ride slowly and take good rest. So what do you do? Um, I, I'm a slow, steady rider, and I think that suits recumbents. Recumbents, you know, they, you know, in theory, they're more efficient, and with a strong rider, you know, the, the, the atmospheric resistance is less, so you can go potentially faster. But it's, it's a festival. You know, it's a social event. I plan to keep doing it. You know, this, this year is a kind of a, a crossover between me getting old and the bikes I'm riding getting faster and faster. So heading towards being the Jimmy Savile of the Paris Brest Paris. Oh no, it's it's an it's an old man's game, and you see lots of old guys, you know, who they, and they say to you, you know, is this your first time? And you say, oh, well, yes, or no, it's my second time. And then they hold up six fingers, and and you just look at them and think, yes, yes, I shall live forever. It's it's very beautiful. Well, that was Patrick Field. Kieran, are you going back for another one? 
Um, well, I've got four years. You've got to four years to get ready. <laughs> contemplate that one. Um, my immediate reaction afterwards was yes. At the moment, it's kind of no because um, I've not been cycling much since. But then, three years down the top line, who knows? So, it, it, and like Patrick says, it is a great festival, a beautiful event, and as far as I think the most impressive thing for me, besides the reaction of the French public, it was just the internationalism of it. You had cyclists from China, Japan, Brazil, Costa Rica, um, people from all over the world. It was absolutely fantastic in that respect. So knowing what you know about what it took to get you ready, um, prepare now, if you can, for Bill uh, a kind of crash plan for the next <laughs> few years to get him in a state to do more than 20 what seconds on some, on some rollers. Well, you've already confessed. Oh, yeah. Um, lots of miles, plenty of miles mm. every year. Um, and then I, a lot of people say, oh, you've got to do the SR series the year before, which is the series of 200, 300, 400, 600 kilometer rides. I didn't do that. I, I just did it this year, the whole SR series. So I did my SR series. Yeah. In when Paris, you say Paris, SR, Paris. you mean super random. Yeah, series, super. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, um, Besides that, I, was, I did a lot of riding over the winter, quite a bit of fixed gear riding over the winter. And then... Oh, no, not <laughs> fixed gear. Yes, for purely training purposes this time. Um, and then um, just doing the, the Super End on Earth series, and that was about it, really. I didn't really do anything from probably late May through until... Um, actually going to France, apart from my regular commute, which is about 20 miles a day. So, There's hope. You, you, would you, would, what would it take for you to do? Would, would you really seriously I, I mean, consider I seri that? No, I mean, I seriously considered doing it. Uh, but this year, just it just never really happened. I mean, the last time, the last time I, I kind of gave myself over to cycling, which is the year that I um, was doing the Marmot and all, that, all the rest of that, uh, I kind of split up with a girl I was seeing. And that kind of stayed with me. But Kieran's just got married. Congratulations, <laughs> Thank incidentally. You. Yeah. Thank you. Well, that that might kind of limit my future. Um... Yeah. I mean, it, it, the trouble with getting really good at cycling is it takes up so much it, bloody it time. It takes a lot it? of dedication, and I think. And it, it, you need a very understanding partner. Yeah. I think. So much better to focus on the world's longest skid, who's best on the rollers, and um, who yeah. can bunny hop over a traffic well, warden. Well, those kind of things only take a few seconds. Exactly. So, well, yeah. turning quickly to the World Bicycle Messenger Championships. Which was in Dublin, yes. Um, well, we kind of, in London, because the pre-event it was here in London, London's Calling, uh, the London Messengers organised that, we kind of had... Uh, well, some some of the guys went to the post event, which was in Glasgow. So some of the guys had two weeks of it. So what happened was that the Thursday before, the weekend before, the the Dublin thing, all these messengers came over and they started racing on the Thursday. Then they raced on the Friday. Then they raced on the Saturday afternoon. Then they did a, a roller race on the Saturday night. Then somehow they managed to get up and get down to Herne Hill and did a track race at 10 a.m. Then there was all the longest skid stuff. Then there was the foot down when anyone, everyone was too drunk to actually do anything. Then there was a bit more drinking. And then they got up the next day and left from London Fields at 9 a.m. and rode to Dublin. So they, then they arrived in Dublin on the Thursday. Then there was a race on the Friday, another race on the, on the Saturday, a roller race on the Saturday night. 
that you could kind of get in a so picture. So it's quite, it's quite hectic. And there was vast uh, and continuous consumption of uh, beer. I, I don't, honestly, I don't know how they do it. I mean, uh, they call yeah. it the breakfast of champions. Yeah, yeah. Well, we've got a, a a piece of music hot from the recording studio, and this is the very great uh, Deadly Treadleys, oh. whose latest oh, um, the Deadly Treadleys. His latest album is going to um, feature when it's out a track entitled "Roller Race," and here it is. <laughs> Conjuring up what I remember of the only roller race that I've ever visited, which is up down in the pleasure unit oh, on Bethnal Green. Roller Palooza 2, yeah. Yeah, we're up to Roller Palooza 9 now. I'm losing count, isn't it? It's probably at time that I threw my hat into the ring, isn't it? I think it is. Can yeah. I go on a Molten? Uh, no, you can't go on a Molten. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't go on a Molten. You know that the, um, the can't the, there be a molten class for the whole event? The first, the, fa- the fast, molten, the fastest wearing tennis socks, weren't you, Jack? Yeah. Well, I have to give other people an advantage to you know, keep up with me. Um, we're getting towards the end of our, our half hour. Um, it's just gone by in a flash. In a quick word, what are you going to be doing over the winter, Kieran? Resting mostly. Resting. <laughs> yeah. And blogging, blogging, yeah, getting even fatter, yeah. And uh, what what stories are you going to be breaking over the over the winter? Uh, well, I don't know yet. Um, Boris Johnson's well, dirty secrets of uh, yeah, Mercedes Benz abuse. The, the Boris Johnson thing is really interesting because everyone thinks he's going to be great for cycling, but the guy is a knob. He's not going to be good for cycling at all. So uh, we'll probably be following that, but we'll, we'll have to wait and see what idiocies he comes out with. Well, thanks, gentlemen, both, for coming on to the inaugural bike show of the winter 2007 season. And next week is a books special, just in time for everybody's Christmas shopping, with George Theohari, who's the author of the newly published Cyclist Companion, uh, Guy Andrews, editor of Ruler magazine, and Graham Fife, who's one of Britain's best um, writers about cycling, who's written several books now, including a history of the Tour de France and his own memoir, of a life in cycling so tune into the bike show monday evenings 6 30 repeated again on saturday at 6 30 and next up is guitar man i believe this is resonance 104.4 fm my name's jack thurston this has been the bike show